Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you pray with me? Father, our hearts this morning join with the psalmist in saying we wait for you. Our hope is in your steadfast love. Yet we wait for you to come. We cannot understand you. We cannot see you without your help. And so come, Holy Spirit, as we open up the scriptures, show us Jesus. Let our hearts burn within us as we encounter him there. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. We're so glad that you are here. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Patrick Schlabs. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am happy uh, to be with you this morning. Our world is a world of striving. It's a world of effort. It's a world of achievement. It's a world of growth and progress and change and effort. And because of that, our lives are so busy and maxed out. And we are so stressed trying to maintain it all that our only hope to manage it so that we can achieve more or take on more is by optimization and efficiency, and organization. The only hope we have of balancing the complexity of our lives and the expectations placed upon us and placed upon us by ourselves from within is optimization, organization, and efficiency. And so because of that, we are inundated, right, with offers and opportunities to optimize. We research things, new ways of shopping for our groceries, New ways of caring for our children. New ways of keeping our mind engaged in all times. We listen to podcasts. We seek out coaching. We find products or software to help us achieve more and more and more. And this mindset in our world is so pervasive that it it moves beyond those very basic things of our schedule and our tasks and our jobs and our eating and our sleeping and all of that. And it moves into our relationships, right? How can we optimize our friendships? How can we organize our marital relationship in such a way that we can achieve ultimate marital bliss? How can we form our bodies in such a way through eating and sleeping that we can be peak performers at all times? It's even invaded our leisure, right? We talk about crushing our days off. I crushed that day off. (laughs) It's easy then for that to creep into our spirituality, to creep into our faith. We seek out books and podcasts and devotionals, small groups, disciplines, in order to optimize even our spiritual lives. And of course, of course, the caveat is all these things can be good, right? 
They can be helpful. They can lead us to places of more joy and more flourishing. But more often than not, they just as easily become taskmasters. Just another thing to do. They shift from being means to something good and true and beautiful to being ends in and of themselves. So that our faith in Jesus, our Christianity becomes just yet another pursuit of self-improvement, of self-optimization. Last week, Rob, I thought, did a great job correcting one misunderstanding of this season that we are in, this season of Lent. He painted a picture of of, uh, destruction and fire that he encountered when he was in France trying to tour vineyards. He said in the same way that they were burning these fields, trimming them away in order to prepare for harvest. So Lent is a season that we fixate on our frailty, on sin, on death. But not for the purpose of destruction, it's for the purpose of preparation for new life. I think another misunderstanding that we can find ourselves in this season of Lent is that as we are seeking to take on or give up practices in Lent, It can be just another opportunity for optimization, for self-improvement, for just a little bit more discipline, maybe a time to drink a bit less or to cut out sugar so that we might lose a bit of weight, to reorganize our finances, to maybe be a little more charitable, to focus on self-care for our mental health, optimization, organization, efficiency. In our gospel lesson from this morning, Jesus encounters a man. We just heard it read. And it's a curious encounter. It's a curious exchange. This man comes to Jesus looking for a bit of information, looking for some new teaching potentially, looking for illumination. But Jesus tells him that he has, in fact, missed the point and is in need of transformation. And so do we this morning, friends. So I do invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to John 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those in the pews there. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth gospel, and you can find it on page 887 of the Pew Bibles. As Anglicans, we uh, participate in something called a lectionary, and it's a three-year lectionary. And each year, as I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I preached, each year focuses on a different gospel, a different synoptic gospel. So we're in year A, so therefore this year focuses on Matthew. But throughout all three years, John is sprinkled in. And particularly in the seasons of Lent and Easter, we find significant, uh, we spend significant time in the gospel of John. And in the passages immediately preceding what we just heard read in chapter 3, we see Jesus do two of his first signs. The first sign is at the wedding of Cana. He turns the water into wine. The second one, he goes into Jerusalem and is in the temple and he overturns the tables and drives out these people, the tax collectors. He says that you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And so it seems that hearing of these things, this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus. We're told that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's one of the pure ones. We'll talk about that more in a second. But he's also not just a religious teacher, but it appears that he is, by by fact that he is a religious leader, he's also just a ruler of the Jews. 
we can assume that he was highly respected. He was probably wealthy. He was probably well-known. And he comes to Jesus by night. We don't know if that is just in secret because he is a well-known figure and does not want to uh, distract from this encounter. But it also, and probably more likely, is he doesn't come for fear of being seen coming to Jesus. John draws significant distinctions between the Jewish leaders of the day and Jesus. And they are on different sides many times throughout the gospel. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you have come from God because no one does these signs unless God was with him. No one changes water into wine. No one comes in with the authority to overturn structures in the temple unless God was with him. Jesus responds, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus seems to come to Jesus in good faith. He seems to be coming to him with an honest question. He may be seeking out some civilized religious dialogue. He's come to talk theology, to maybe learn from Jesus, rabbi to rabbi. He might be looking for some ideas, for some practices, for some tips for some podcast recommendations that he might be able to use and incorporate in his role as a Pharisee and as a ruler of the Jews, as a teacher. Ways that he might be able to grow. We might even say he's looking for improvement, optimization. Not just for his sake, he's a teacher, so he might be seeking it out for the piety of his pupils, those he will be teaching. But as Jesus often does in our encounters with him in the gospel, he ignores the question that is being asked and he answers instead the question that is needed to be asked. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would have been a well-known idea for Nicodemus and for Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders of this time. In fact, it was the entire reason that they existed. The reason they were Pharisees was in order to bring about the kingdom of God. They sought such purity, such adherence to the Old Testament law that they would be restored, not just them, but their entire nation of Israel would be restored to its rightful place as God's chosen holy people. That was the kingdom of God. That was what Nicodemus was expecting. That's what he was planning on. And so he comes to Jesus asking, how might I enter more fully into the kingdom of God? How might I learn? How might I grow? How might I achieve? And Jesus says, you can't get there that way. That's not how you come into the kingdom. Not through more teaching. Not through more purity. Not through more effort. You must be born again. That phrase born again is something that we probably have heard or familiar with. You hear about born again Christians, right? It's kind of a a, a delineator. Um, I think it's maybe not as used quite as much as it was a a few decades ago. I think they used to speak of um, Jimmy Carter as like the first born again president. Does that sound familiar? Born again, a type of Christian. But it comes from this passage, from this exchange with Jesus and Nicodemus. But what does it mean? The word here that is most often translated as again can also mean from above. And I think it's actually helpful, more helpful to read it as born anew from above. 
In fact, one of my favorite uh, commentators on the book of John uh, translates it this way, born all over again from above. Born all over again from above. The theological term that we use is regeneration. Regeneration. To be completely born anew from a new place. It's total transformation. And in fact, this passage contrasts below to above. That's what regeneration, being born anew from above, means. It means from moving from heavenly people or fleshly people to, or sorry, from earthly people to heavenly people, from fleshly people to spirit people. Jesus is saying for us to even see the kingdom of God, to even glimpse it, we need to not just become better people or improved people. We need to become entirely new people. We must be born anew from above. Bishop and missiologist Leslie Newbegin says this about regeneration. He says to experience the kingship of God, that is the kingdom of God, as a present reality is not simply a matter of illumination. It is a matter of regeneration. It is not just new seeing, but it is new being. John Calvin says, by the term born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. This is not incremental improvement. We must be born anew from above. Nicodemus, maybe like some of you, is confused by this. He says, how, how can one be born again? Can he re-enter into his mother's womb and be born again? He comes across as a bit dense there. Jesus responds and says, truly, truly, amen, amen. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Like begets light. Spirit begets spirit. Flesh begets spirit. Those born of the spirit, Jesus goes on to say, are like the wind. You know it's there. You know it's happening. You can see its effects. You can see maybe the, the tree branches move, but you can't grasp it. You don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. You can't control it. This is how those who are born from above or born of the spirit and the water are. So being born anew from above is a must. It's a requirement. It is necessary, Jesus says, to be kingdom people, but it is also a mystery. We're not exactly sure how it is done. It's not something that can be scheduled. It's not something that can be controlled. It's not something that can be coerced into happening. We cannot force it. We are helpless. We cannot do it ourselves. It must be done for us. We must be born again anew from heaven. It must be experienced. Therefore, it is a gift. It is the mysterious work of God given as a gift. Nicodemus responds, how can this be? Just exclaims, you're saying this is necessary for me to see the kingdom of God, and then you're saying I can't control it. I can't participate in it. How do, I, how do I get in on this? What do I do? How can this be? How am I able to do this? And Jesus responds and says, you're not a teacher of Israel. You are the teacher of Israel. And yet you do not understand it? Nicodemus, uh, throughout this text, seems to be fixated on what he is able, what one is able or not able to do. He's focused there on human ability. What are we able to do? Are we able to see the kingdom of God? Are we not able to see the kingdom of God? And Jesus is saying to him, you should know better. 
you should know that you're not able to do it. That's the story of Israel that you propose to be a teacher of. Not being able to be holy. Not being able to be righteous. Not being able to follow the commands of God. And as a teacher, you know this. And more than that, you know that there was a promise in the prophets who were sent to say, repent, a promise of one day that it will not be so. One day you will be able to keep God's commandments. The prophet Ezekiel says that God will come one day and he will sprinkle clean water on you and cleanse you. He will give you a new heart and a new spirit and you then will be able to keep God's statutes, to walk in his ways. This is not just reformed people. This is being reborn. And so for us this morning, we ask, how can this be? If it is necessary for each of us to be born anew from above. And yet it is not something that we can do of our own volition. How can this be? Jesus, in verse 13, says that no one has ascended into heaven except one who has descended the son of man. He goes on to say that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That's a reference to Numbers chapter 21. You probably remember it, but if not, Israel is in the desert after being rescued from Egypt and they're grumbling about what they are given to eat. And judgment comes, there's serpents that are sent among them and they bite them and they're dying. And when they turn and repent, God tells Moses to lift up a bronze serpent. And as people look at the bronze serpent, they will be healed. Jesus says, this is an image. This is how I will be lifted up. Not how I will be exalted yet. Not how I will ascend back to heaven yet. But I will be lifted up from the earth. This is John's language for the cross. Jesus will be lifted high upon the cross, upon this tree The law said that cursed was the one who hung upon a tree. Jesus is lifted up, cursed for the sake of our sin, so that he might overturn the curse. Given to death for our sin, so that he might bring about new life. The only way, friends, that we can become new people born anew from heaven is through the work of a new kind of man, the son of man. The way that we are born anew from heaven is not from more effort, not from more striving, not from more optimization, not even from giving up chocolate for Lent. It's to actually give up, to throw in the towel, to recognize we cannot do it. Jesus is the one then that comes towards us and invites us It says anyone who trusts in him, trusts in his work, are invited into this life, this true life, invited into the kingdom of God. Again, Leslie Newbegin says to enter into the kingship of God can only be by the gift of a new life, the life of God himself. And that gift can only be made available by the descent of God himself to pour out his life in death for the life of the world. And we come to the great... Verse 316, maybe the most basic summary of the gospel, that because of God's great love for the world, he gave his one and only, his precious son, that anyone who trusts in him would not see death, but would experience kingdom life, eternal life, life with God. 
We actually meet Nicodemus again. He departs and kind of fades into the background of this passage, but we meet him again. He pops up. In chapter 7, we find him defending Jesus in the midst of the Sanhedrin. And then in chapter 19, after Jesus is crucified and has died, we find that two of his disciples who are religious leaders, members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, come and ask for Jesus' body. They take it down. They care for it. They anoint it with spices. Nicodemus has pivoted, has shifted from one who comes in secret and is confused to someone who publicly embraces Jesus at great cost to himself. It appears that Nicodemus has experienced this new life. He has been born anew from above. And so I would say if you find yourself just over a week into Lent, 10 days into Lent, struggling with what you've given up, taking it back on again, failing, picking yourself up, trying harder, that that is the very point. That is what Lent brings to us. That is the gift, a reminder that we cannot be holy enough, that we cannot earn or strive enough to pay for our sins, but that Jesus invites us into his life at the very moment when we say we cannot any longer. Fleming Rutledge, somebody that I love, a preacher and a, a priest, uh, says at one point um, in one of her books, I flunk Lent every year. Now that's good news, friends. That is the point, to flunk it. Our colic that we just heard read, we have no power within ourselves to help ourselves. If Christianity, if our faith means anything, it is that the gospel comes to those of us who cannot, who cannot earn, who cannot achieve. It's not come, it's not news just to make us slightly better people. To be a little bit better, a little bit improved, a little bit optimized. It's about us becoming a completely new humanity. And so it might be helpful for us rather than asking, what are you giving up for Lent this year? Better question might be, when are you giving up? What are you throwing in the towel of self-sufficiency and self-improvement? For it is only when we come to that place of giving up ourselves completely that we can be lifted up by the one who was lifted up for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us in this room, whether we have served you faithfully for decades, or whether we're not so sure and exploring what it means to follow you. Pray that by the gift of your Holy Spirit that each of us would be born anew from heaven, freshly filled with your Holy Spirit this Lenten season, reminded that we are weak and we are helpless, but at the right time when we were enemies, Jesus, you came to die for us so we could live forever with you. Enliven us. Reawaken our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.